would you, you felt if you'd uh, looked up the passages that you were responsible for preaching on and, and found that particular one? <laughs> and uh, thought, thanks, Nick. <laughs> I thought I'd. Uh, so what I thought I'd do is ask the men's breakfast uh, yesterday the question of. Um, Does your wife always obey you? <laughs> and I, I wasn't there myself, uh, so I asked Frank to give me a report, and he said, um, only one man put up his hand. Uh, but he's not going to say who in case he gets in trouble with his wife. <laughs> so, uh, I don't want to trivialise this subject, because it's really important, um, and I don't want to also for the whole sermon to be dominated by uh, this question of submission. So I'm going to start um, with our, our John passage, John 15, 12 to 17, and if you've got a Bible or we can have it on the screen, that would be great. So I think the first thing that we really need to note here is, is how high the bar is set for us in our relationships. And our theme today is being God's people at home. So the bar set here by Jesus is greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. So I don't know about you as I kind of reflected on this and uh, my sort of interactions with my family um, and my friends and my neighbours, um, there is a very big difference between where God has set the bar in terms of sacrificial love and my day-to-day -day interactions. So this is a massive challenge for all of us in terms of being unselfish uh, and being like Jesus in the way that we deal with each other and other people. Jesus then goes on to say, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. There's two things about this. Firstly, it's wonderful that Jesus is calling us friends. So he shared his purpose with us, uh, the reason he came uh, to earth and his mission, and we are friends with him in that journey. And I think that's, some, that's something I will come back to. But it's also, there's also a condition to it, isn't there? So, you are my friends if you do what I command. So we do need to respond to that and that challenge to do what Jesus has commanded. In verse 16 he goes on to say, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So we need to respond, we need to do what Jesus has commanded us to do, and we need to bear fruit. And that fruit is eternal fruit, fruit that will last. So I think there's two things in this passage. Firstly, our obedience to God, following what he's commanded us to do. And secondly, that, that huge challenge to us about, about being unselfish to the point of death. So whatever our relationships at home, as wives, uh, as children, as husbands, as neighbours, as friends, how do you measure up against that challenge? And is there something in this that you need to think about that God's saying to you this morning? So in terms of being God's people at home, 
what sort of fruit are we talking about here? And, and it's really important that we release each other and other members of our family into what God has called us to do so that we can um, deliver on the fruit that God has called us to do. And there's some practical things in the home that we need to be striving to do better. Praying together. So how many of us in our families, in our partnerships, actually pray together? So Linda and I have never found this that easy, actually. Um, and we, we pray before grace. Uh, we have grace on Sunday uh, dinner, but we don't do that every uh, meal. And we tend to pray before a long journey, ask for safety. Uh, and more recently, um, we prayed at the end of family holidays. And that's actually been really, really special and really powerful. Um, but I think, uh, and we had, have had seasons where we'd be better at praying together as a couple. So are you praying together? If not, what are you going to do about it? Um, you can start small, but we need to be teaching each other and learning in being God's people at home to be praying in our families. Ask Nathan what he thought about in terms of what was our responsibility as parents in bringing up our children. And he said, from his point of view, it's our responsibility to bring our children up in, in our faith, but also to give them the skills and opportunities to challenge those beliefs as they grow up, so that that belief can become their own and they can deal with the challenges that will come. It's not the children's worker or the youth worker or the church itself primary responsibility to bring up our children in faith. It is our responsibility as parents. Children's work at the church will only see your kids for an hour a week if you're here every week. So they cannot be the primary influencer. You have to take responsibility. We have to take responsibility for our children's development, our children's spiritual development. Sam is at spree with uh, a lot of young people, many of them non-Christians, this weekend, which is fantastic. And I know how special that was last year, for example, for, for Harry who went, and how he experienced the Holy Spirit there. Those periods are really important. New Wine has been really important to us as a family. Um, but it doesn't replace what we do in between. We have to uh, ensure that we're being God's people at home. So that's our passage at John, and I'll just come back to that bar being set in terms of sacrificial love. That's where God has set the bar, that Jesus died for us and we should be prepared to die for other people. So we now come on to the 1 Peter uh, passage, 1 to 9. And uh, I'm also going to draw on Ephesians 5, because I'm not going to dodge this particular bullet. Uh, I'm going to try and deal with uh, this issue. Um, so I think there's a I want to pin this around also accountability for faith in the home. So I'm going to talk a bit about that. So um, one of uh, our Prime Minister's infamous interviews was uh, about boy jobs and girl jobs, wasn't it? And uh, somebody, boy jobs is to take out the bins and such like. So we tend to have accountability at home in terms of who's responsible for finances, things like that. But who is responsible in your home for your faith? for the family's faith, for your faith as, as a couple, um, or if you're single for, that's more difficult, and focusing on this more on those who are in relationships. So who's responsible for that question for you? So, 1 Peter 5, 
1 to 9, talks about submission. And that's a really difficult word. Uh, and I've, I've struggled and had a, an interesting debate with my two sons about this. Um, unfortunately, I haven't had the chance to discuss what I'm going to say with my wife. <laughs> so, we shall find out how she thinks later on when she listens to the line, hopefully. Um, so, there's a definition in here about submission, um, but I, I don't think that really helps that much, because it's quite, it still seems for me quite a, a, a negative word. But I think the key thing um, is about what, uh, I'm going to come back to God's ideal firstly. So, um, in Genesis, right at the beginning, Genesis 1 verse 27, this is before the fall, when God originally created the world. So, um, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. So I, I believe passionately in the equality of men and women, um, and that historically, if you look at the history of the world, we've failed dismally uh, to uh, get the most out of uh, our, our different genders and to give women the right opportunities to lead. Uh, and the world, I believe, would be a much better place if uh, we weren't so behind in that respect. And I, don't, I think this, these passages have been unhelpful in, in, in some respects in that regard, and the church has certainly been unhelpful in that regard. Uh, and I've, I really struggle with these passages as somebody who's responsible for uh, equal opportunities in the workplace. Um, and I've got to reconcile my understanding of the importance of equality and the importance of that in the workplace and in the world as a whole with these passages. And uh, I don't think that's, that's easy, uh, but we're gonna, I'm going to try so God's ideal is, before the fall, is God creates man in his own image, in the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So God didn't distinguish at that point in any way between male and female. He created them equal, he gave them equal opportunity and responsibility for ruling over all the earth, and he saw that it was very good. In, it's not until after the fall, Genesis 16, we read, after the fall, um, so after the fall, um, God says um, that your husband, will, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. And that was a consequence of the fall. So I think we can look at uh, this passage and say, uh, this was not written as, this is the perfect way that the world is meant to be. This was written to Christians, to the church at the time, and into the, that context. But there is a danger in doing that, that we can miss the important message in here, and we can water it down, and I don't want to do that either. So, what was the context of the time? Well, firstly, I think it was a context where the disciples believed Jesus was imminently returning uh, and coming back. Um, and there's a um, passage just... Uh, yeah, a verse in, in chapter 2, verse 12, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. We also know that in society at the time, the role of women was um, very much lower than the role of men. Uh, women didn't have the same opportunities of education uh, and leadership 
uh, and the, the, the importance of their oil was not recognised in society. We also know that Jesus, compared to the world that he lived in, was very pro and for women. So the two examples I would give is, is the Samaritan woman, where Jesus, according to society, should not have talked to her because she was a woman, and further should not have talked to her because she was a Samaritan, and he did both of those things. We also know that the first witnesses to Jesus' resurrection were women. And one of the uh, reasons we give for the, the, the gospel seems so true is that if they were making it up in those days, there's no way the first witnesses would have been women, because that wouldn't be credible in the society at the time. So it is important that we have to look at the context of these passages, but it's important that we don't also miss the key messages in there. So I think there's a, there is, as we well know, a spectrum of opinion and views uh, across the church, across Christian, and in this congregation, I'm sure, about how we should interpret these passages. There is the, um, if you like, conservative, traditional uh, view um, that this is very clear, and I'm going to read a bit of the passage from Ephesians. Um, Ephesians 5.22, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives must submit to their husbands in everything. That's pretty strong, isn't it? That's pretty strong. And that is quite difficult um, to reconcile with the equality uh, that I do believe in. So, is, there, is, is this a case that God knows very clearly what is best for us, that he has ordained this way, um, that a relationship needs a lead, it needs someone who's responsible and accountable, and in this case God is making the husband accountable. He's not saying the husband is better or worse, he's just making him responsible um, in this example. So that's one End spectrum, and it speaks also to church leadership. I think we in this church we've had a, a woman vicar, so there's a general acceptance of women uh, in church leadership within this church, and uh, you therefore have to, to say that we've taken some degree of understanding of the context of these messages that we take. The other view is what you might call the more liberal view that this was very much context specific and it was written to the early church in which women didn't have the opportunities for leadership, they didn't have the training and the development, and it was also uh, written to, particularly our passage, was uh, written to, to women who were married to non-Christians. And uh, that, therefore, it doesn't apply uh, in the same way to us now, and we must interpret it uh, for the context that we, we, we are in now, and in which case we need to give much more emphasis to Verse 21 uh, of Ephesians 5, which is submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So there's a spectrum of opinion on this, and uh, there'll be different views in here. Um, but it's really important that we confront the challenges of this passage, whichever perspective we have on this particular view. So my view um, is that and I've struggled with this a bit, is firstly that equality in terms of workplace, equality in terms of uh, the way the world lives, is absolutely paramount. 
we have not moved far enough in that direction at all. Uh, we're still in a situation where because of um, you know, the hunter-gatherer and men being physically stronger and women being child-bearer, that women don't get the opportunities that they should do. Uh, and the church has been very detrimental, I think, in many respects, in not uh, uh, pushing the equality agenda. But I do think there's some real truth in here about who is accountable. And I'm going to maybe let myself off the hook, but talk about the spiritual lives of our families. So who is accountable for the spiritual life in our family? And I think for us men, there's a real challenge here that at best, this passage makes you responsible for making sure that you have the conversations with your wife about faith. At worst, if you like, it's very clear that you are accountable to God for the spiritual life of your family and your relationships. So, how does that make you feel? That made me feel pretty uncomfortable, actually. And I asked Andrew whether I was leading um, the spiritual life of our family. And he said, not enough. <laughs> he said there were some examples, like when we prayed after our family holiday together, that was really good. But sometimes he took a slight back seat because he felt it was my responsibility to lead. And I reflect on how I discussed this much with Linda, and I don't think I have, which is amazingly bad in many respects. Um, but I think there is a real danger um, in the church today that because we believe in quality, that we as men say, well, this doesn't really count, and it kind of falls between the two of us. And no one really grasps it and takes responsibility for it. So, what are the key things here um, that we need to take from this passage? Firstly, it's really important to recognise that this teaching is a radical transformation of the culture at the time. It's absolutely extraordinary what Paul is saying in Ephesians when you compare with what husbands would do at the time in terms of the hierarchy. There's a couple of verses about wives' submission, but then there's about six or seven verses about husbands and how they need to love their wives. So there's this complete mutuality between submission and love in this relationship. And that is absolutely key, whatever you believe about it. So husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So it's back again, this sacrificial love. You must be prepared to die for your wife. She might be asked to submit to you, but that is on the basis that you will die for her. So this mutuality is, is absolutely key to this. And the other parallel to look at is in terms of the Trinity, where Jesus obviously submitted to the authority of God. He came uh, to earth, he died on the cross, uh, and he submitted to God's authority as Father. But in the Trinity, they are equal partners, aren't they? Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son. So, the challenge is to us, and I'll come back just to this uh, passage in, in John for a moment. Um, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. We know what God has called us to do in our homes. We know what our mission is. We know our master's business. He goes on to say, instead I've called you friends. So, really our relationships are friends, aren't they? Friendships. Our marriages are friendships. 
In the same way that Jesus says we're no longer servants for him, we're friends. We share a friendship in that mission. And we all know as blokes that laying the Lord out at home is not going to work, is it? <laughs> as we heard from Frank earlier. So how are we going to respond to this? Well, I think the challenge to you, uh, us as blokes um, is to, to, to the, the default is you are responsible for leading spiritually. Unless you've had that discussion with your wife and she says, I'll take accountability for that. You are responsible. So where is your spiritual life going as a couple? Where is your spiritual life going as a family? And the second challenge is to love your wife sacrificially in the way that we've heard. And for, your, for, for wives, do discuss with your husband where you want him to lead. Are you happy for your husband to take a leadership role in spiritual matters? Have that conversation. And of course, again, love your husband <coughs> as we're called to love in that John's passage. And for those of us not in relationships um, and not in families in the same sense, the challenge here is about that deep love of each other, that sacrificial love. I recently uh, was trained as a, a mental health, uh, mental first aider, mental health first aider, and um, it really made me understand the level of mental distress uh, that many people in the world suffer from. And people need the Lord. And I kind of got myself into a point where I thought, people don't need the Lord, they all seem quite happy, they seem to be getting on, you know. But people need the Lord. And when we go out in the streets and share our faith, people need the Lord. They desperately need it. And the most people who need it most are the people who are most vulnerable. So that, that sacrificial love, when we're going out in the streets in September, are you prepared to give up your Saturday? Are you prepared to be uncomfortable? And men, are you going to lead on this agenda in your families, uh, in your couples? Are you going to help us reach out as a church? Because Jesus died for us. Are we prepared to show that sacrificial love to those in our community and at home? Let's pray.